for most of us, whether we realize it or not, what we do flows out of who we are and who we are, meaning how we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if you see yourself as someone who is an overthinker, then you are going to be overthinking. This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of RJ Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, books that are timeless and charming, provocative and of the moment. The conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. Author, blogger, podcast host, and mother of four sounds like more than most mere mortals could accomplish. But Ann Bogle manages her wildly popular blog, The Modern Mrs. Darcy, her two smart podcasts, What Should I Read Next and One Great Book, and now joins us to talk about her latest and third book called Don't Overthink It, Make Easier Decisions, Stop Second Guessing, and Bring More Joy to Your Life. So for our listeners, uh, we are recording this in front of a packed live audience. Let them hear. <laughs> At R.J. Julia's in Madison, Connecticut, and welcome to Just the Right Book and R.J. Julia's. Oh, this is my pleasure. Thank you for having me, and thank you all for coming. Yeah, and schlepping here from other states. So lots of us might think of ourselves as quick decision makers, mm -hmm. you know, that we're really not overthinking mm -hmm. things. Yet, when I looked at the quiz that you have in the book for who might be an overthinker, I thought, this feels like a lot of people I know. So share with us what the qualities of an overthinker are. Oh, <laughs> well, that gets a big sigh because when I started writing the book, when I started thinking about writing the book, I knew that I'd be addressing two things, rumination and worry. And I also knew that I wanted to explore not just the negative aspects of overthinking, because we all know what we're talking about, right? We're talking about those thoughts that are repetitive, unhealthy, and unhelpful. When you feel like your brain is working really, really hard, but it's not accomplishing anything, or at least anything worth doing. We know it's exhausting. We know it makes us feel crappy. Um, it sounds like a real downer, um, and we know that we're doing it. But the book itself is not a downer, and that's because the perspective I wrote it from was that overthinking is an obstacle that gets in the way of our real lives. Mm. When we're spending our time overthinking, that's time that we're not spending on the things that really matter, whether that's in our thoughts and in our actions. And if you write a book about overthinking, one, I'd highly recommend it because you'll see all the ways you're overthinking and it will be temporarily mortifying. But then <laughs> you won't quit, but you'll get way better at catching yourself in the act and changing course. Um so I wouldn't recommend it because it's mortifying, but I would recommend it because good things come from it. But when you do write a book like that, you do realize all the ways you're overthinking and you have friends and blog readers and podcast listeners give you their confessional stories about the ways they didn't realize they were overthinking. This topic was so wiggly to wriggle into a book because mm. I, I thought I knew rumination and worry. Like I knew that we would be talking about those things, but overthinking was so much sneakier 
than I expected. It infects people's lives in ways that they're really blind to. And if you're blind to something happening in your life, you cannot do a thing about it. It just controls you. We'll be back after a short break from our sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Then the Fish Swallowed Him from Harper Via Books. From Harper Via Books comes the English language debut of celebrated Iranian writer and translator Amir Ahmadi Aryan, Then the Fish Swallowed Him. A timely unflinching look into the potential dangers of the everyday citizen's life under despotism. Then the Fish Swallowed Him is a powerful psychological portrait of oppression, corruption, and absolutism grounded in the real-life experiences of Iranians. Yunus Tarabi, a docile bus driver in Tehran, leads an unremarkable life. When he is taken to the infamous Evan prison, a known headquarter for torture of political dissidents, Yuris struggles to hold on to his sanity and must make an impossible choice. Continue fighting or submit to the system of lies upholding Iran's power. Then the fish swallowed him by Mir Hamadi Aryan. It's available now wherever books are sold. Now, back to the show. So let's take a step back for a minute because one of the ways in which I thought about this book was not so much about just overthinking. And I don't mean to put just in it as a diminishing quality. But to me, what I started thinking about is, wow, we're spending a lot of time. And so let, let's be clear. We're not talking about overthinking about who to marry and, and what house to buy. Mm-hmm. We're talking Although, about... funny thing, like they're, they're big decisions do require big thoughts. That's true. But as I started, as I started thinking about, you know, what is overthinking, it's anything you're thinking past the point of the amount of thought you want to be spending on it. Um, I mean, how many of you made it like a snap decision that like, yep, she's the one. Or, I mean, we walked into the house we live in now. Uh, it would, you know, buying a house is one of the major pur- purchases in your life. We walked in and we were like, oh, yeah, this is happening. So so it's it's sneaky. So when you're trying to identify what is and isn't overthinking, it doesn't necessarily mean a lot of thought. It means the right kind of thought is required for certain things. You have to match the amount of thought, the energy you're putting into a decision with the amount it truly merits. So that was, to me, the big takeaway. The big takeaway was... If I'm spending too much time thinking about, we'll take, we'll take a very critical thing, what to put on in the morning, mm-hmm. right? If I'm spending, if I'm thinking about that today for tomorrow, and I'm even, what you made me realize, Anne, is I'm spending 10 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe annoyingly 50 minutes mm-hmm on something that has absolutely no real value to me because I could get rid of it in in operating in a different way. So when you started thinking about this, give us an example of a kind of overthinking you did on a road trip that you were going to take dealing with the weather. Oh, sure. Well, first of all, before I become the wardrobe police, (laughs) the critical words in those sentences were, it didn't matter to you. Because it's not overthinking if you're giving it the amount of thought you want to. I am in Connecticut for the first time. So you better believe I spent some time <laughs> figuring out how to spend my precious hours. Um, maybe someone else could have said, there are blog posts about that. Just look <laughs> one up and be done with it. 
But I wanted to find out what I could do in Madison, Connecticut. And it's not overthinking. Even if it's somebody else could do it more efficiently, if that's how I wanted to spend my time, if that brought value to me, imagining what it might be like to be here, then that is just fine. And I've heard from plenty of people who say, um, I work in a job that doesn't bring me joy, but choosing my clothes in the morning does. So, so what are you going to do about that? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you to have fun choosing your outfit in the morning. But you said that's not right. important to you. Right. Yeah. So, so tell us the weather story. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Better than I used to be, but I'm sure this will happen again in my future. Um, I opened the book with a story about how I was planning a trip to Nashville in June, which is um, thunderstorm season. Who has been to the American South? We do thunderstorms like nobody's business. So we have two kinds of storms. We have these pop-up storms where you look at the forecast for the pool. There's only a 20% chance of rain. There's always a 20% chance of rain. You go to the pool and all of a sudden the skies are black. The thunder is booming. It lasts 20 minutes and then you move on with your day. So that happens. But then there's also the storms that happen when there's um, a disturbance in the Gulf and like your tropical storm rain pushes its way slowly from Mississippi up to Alabama, up to Tennessee, and then blankets the entire region. So I had this trip planned in Nashville. It was non-negotiable. I had a meeting. I had a hotel room. I needed to be there at a certain time. And I was watching the weather going, we got a tropical storm. And I hate to drive in the rain. I hate it so much. I'm a massive scaredy cat. Um, I just And I don't trust anybody behind the wheel of another motor vehicle. So I, ooh, and plus you're a control freak. <laughs> Just say yes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> but I have no faith in what is happening to you when you're holding your cell phone in your hand and watching it while you're maneuvering two tons of steel down the interstate yeah. at 80 miles an hour. So I was watching the weather going, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And I was leaving town and I have a life and kids and a job and all this. And despite the fact that there's, a, I mean, if you go for a trip, you have stuff to do to get ready, right? The only thing I was doing to get ready was hitting refresh on the weather channel. Like, just make it better, make it better. But it was not going to be better ever. And I was definitely stuck in that. I mean, stuck, like the hamster on a wheel, like repetitive unhealthy, unhelpful, focused intently on something, but not accomplishing anything. And the punchline here is that I was on my way to Nashville to start work on a book called Don't Overthink It. <laughs> so that is now the opening story. I've since heard that I'm not the only one who has done such a thing. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now whether it's like turbulence forecasts, because I don't like to fly, or illness forecasts, or what might the weather be like? How am I supposed to pack if I don't know what the weather is like on my trip in two weeks? You know, just like trying to get more information when there's nothing you can do about it. So, and part of what you talk about is that it's good to know you're overthinking, but there's a danger in thinking of, your, of yourself as an overthinker. Oh, sure. Now, that feels like ironic, but mm -hmm. explain to us what you mean by that. Oh, well, I mean, the power of identity is huge. It, the Gretchen Rubin first told the tidbit that I encountered in one of her books where she said that there is one key moment in life when it's incredibly easy for women to quit smoking, and that's when they find out they're pregnant. Like, all of a sudden, I'm a mother, 
I got to be healthy. You see yourself differently. And for most of us, whether we realize it or not, what we do flows out of who we are and who we are, meaning how we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if you see yourself as someone who is an overthinker, then you are going to be overthinking. Uh, I'm the kind of person who is an incredibly powerful statement, no matter how how you finish that. Like I'm a reader and what it means is I read a lot of books and I believe in being healthy, which means I just ate a salad and went for a run yesterday morning, even though I kind of whined about it a little bit. Um, yeah, but you did it. I whine about it. But I did it. Don't do it. Right. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the kind, I mean, I'm the kind of person who runs every two days or three when it's icy or pouring down rain. Like this is who I am. And mm. so when we see ourselves when we think, like, I'm an overthinker, this is who I am, then that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. As opposed to, I'm a person who is human, and sometimes I fall into these behavior patterns that make me unhappy, and I know what to do to correct them because I have tools in my tool belt. You all, I don't know what it is about this book. So there's the tool analogy and the car analogy. I can't stop. I know very little about either. <laughs> but they keep being perfect. So it... Anne has in the book, which you'll all buy tonight and buy it for everybody uh, you know, has little checklists and quizzes on each of the chapters. And one of the one of the my favorite questions that you have on the checklist reminds me of one of my favorite books to give to people that are stuck or graduating, which is called The Art of Possibility mm -hmm. by the Zanders. Have any of you ever read this book? No. Well, you should read it. Um, and one of the things that, uh, one of them is a professor, mm -hmm. and they start their class and they say to the kids, I, here's what I want you to do. You're all going to get A's at the end of the semester. What did you do? How will you feel when you get that A, and what would you do to get it? And all of a sudden, it sort of turns the brain around to be thinking, well, I can get an A. University of Texas at Austin tried an experiment like this for kids that were first in their family to go to college. So you talk about, you have a question in the book about describing your future self. Mm -hmm. How would you describe your the future self you want to be? Which is a very cool question, right? That we could ask at any age of ourselves, you know, even if our futures might be shorter horizon. Why did you put that in the book, Anne? What do you think that does to how people operate? Well, I found that being human Sometimes we need little mental tricks to shift our perspective because you think that you're the one who's going to know what's happening in your own head the best, but what really happens is you know too much. You get overwhelmed with data points and you completely lose perspective. So there's so many different ways to get out of your own head and see your own situation clearer than you can when you are in it, which sounds counterintuitive, but is absolutely true. So some things that work really well are what would I tell my best friend to do in this situation? Um, when I wake up in the morning, how am I going to feel about the fact that I'm still checking Instagram messages at 10.30 p.m.? Or like you said, you know, what, what would your future self say about X? Mm -hmm. 
It lets you see things in a different way. And I believe if you read anything, I've, I mean, I've, I'm a person who loves books and reading. Like I believe in the power of perspective, not in a like rosy, happy Pollyanna way, because I've seen time and again, how shifting your point of view shifts the way you see yourself and what you can do about it. So you have real concrete advice about how to stop overthinking. Mm -hmm. Share with us some, what some of those are. Oh, wow. Well, Roxanne, the question is, where do you want to start? Because something that really at first confounded and shocked me and made me want to cry was how deep and wide overthinking mm -hmm. runs in our lives. Like More I, women than men. Yes, it's so interesting. We are not sure exactly why um, most research posits that it's due to a combination of biology and socialization but more, more women claim to struggle with overthinking on a regular basis than men. Um, something that I was personally blind to was the link between perfectionism and overthinking. Once I understood it, it made so much sense. But I've been describing myself as a mostly recovering perfectionist for 10 or 15 years now. And I just completely didn't understand that when I lapsed into those, a specific kind of overthinking, if you ever encountered a three for two table at the bookstore? Um, once, <laughs> once I was able to put a name on it and say, you're, you're, what's happening here is the first two books come easy, but then you want a third because it's going to cost the same, but then you get another book. And we, we love our books. And that, that inner pressure to choose, oh, this is ironic, just the right book. <laughs> Well could done. send me to unhealthy places, but you see what you can do. You just ask Roxanne to pick it for you through your self subscription. That's one brilliant way to overcome <laughs> overthinking. So you compare mm -hmm. perfection to paralysis analysis. I think per perfectionism can be a huge reason that we get caught in analysis paralysis. How many of you know that phrase? It's brand new to some people, and others are. Yeah, I, that did not originate with me. I think about forty percent of the hands in the room just went up. Um, when we are striving to make the right decision, the right decision, big air quotes there, or the perfect decision, I don't tell myself I'm looking for the perfect decision. I tell myself I'm looking for the right decision. But so often the right decision doesn't exist or the right decision isn't possible. Or, and yet I'll keep looking for it. And if you're looking for something that doesn't exist, you're never going to get there. Now the umbrella that you put over this in a couple of chapters is the impact of being guided by what you value. Mm -hmm. And you tell the story about a friend of yours who was like willing to do what seems sort of heroic, mm -hmm. but she was guided by her values. Mm -hmm. So talk with us about how that can really shift how we think. Like you talked mm -hmm. about one, you could talk about quitting smoking till the cows come home, but then when you get pregnant, mm -hmm. You do. Mm -hmm. So how can, how, how can we, by thinking of our values, mm -hmm. actually begin to mitigate the overthinking quality? Mm -hmm. This is a great question. Okay, bear with me for a second, because this is going to sound really boring for a minute. But there's a chapter in the book called Decide What Matters, and it's about values-based decision-making. 
So I can say that to my kids and they'll fall asleep immediately because it sounds so boring. But if there's one thing in the book that has revolutionized the way I approach decisions, it is this. And I really learned it because of writing the book. It's something that many of us do on a scattershot basis because it makes sense. But learning how to make it a driver in my decisions has been huge. Um, what this means or what I found is that many times when I'm facing a decision, I think the decision is about the matter in front of me. Like, let's say that I'm um, browsing in the bookstore and I'm looking for a book. Wow, this is going to be tricky. I might have boxed myself into a corner. Let's say I'm looking for a birthday gift. Um, so there's certainly been a time in my life when I could have walked into a bookstore for a birthday gift, gotten overwhelmed by the over overwhelmed by all the options, gotten flustered and left. But you think the question is about shopping, but the question is not about shopping. The question is about what is my relationship to this person? Why did I decide that I wanted to give her some something tangible? Let's say it's my friend Lori who loves gifts. Also, she really loves gift wrap. Um, she loves plants <laughs> and she loves, and I believe in spending my money at independent businesses. That's so, because you're a smart woman. <laughs> Um, someone said that on a bio. Like, can I just tell you now that Roxanne wrote that bio, not me? But I'd like to steal it. Those are really nice things you said. Um, I, I run into trouble when I think the question is about shopping, which sounds like something totally throwaway. Who cares? It's fine. It's fine. But it's not. It's about a relationship. It's about where I'm investing my dollars. It's about um, getting something done before I want to sit down on the bookstore floor and cry. I don't feel like that's a really wonderful example. So let me tell you one of the stories from, actually, let me tell you that something, something that happened maybe after I wrote the book. Um, it was a really busy morning in May. Who in here has read my book, I'd Rather Be Reading? <clears throat> I tell a story about the library next door in that book. For 13 years, my husband and I lived next door to a wonderful branch of the Louisville Free Public Library. It's actually the branch with the most books coming in and out of it. And I'd like to think that that's not coincidence. <laughs> Doing my part. So it was a really busy morning. We had a ton going on. Um, they closed our library not long after I'd Rather Be Reading came out to do this massive renovation. And the day had finally come for the ribbon cutting. Um, at the same time, library funding had been cut, like they do. And the library was asking for a show of support. My husband and I were just two people. We thought they're not even gonna notice we're not there. Let's get our stuff done so that we can like pay our bills. Um, it, but we only considered this for about five minutes because actually it might've been less than that because I had been writing Don't Overthink It at the time. My friend Allie had blown my mind with her values-based decision-making. And I realized, I think this question is about how I wanna spend the next hour and 15 minutes of my life. But the question behind the question is actually of much greater significance. Um, I knew those people at that branch really, really well. And I really value showing up for the people I care about who have poured into my life and my children's lives. So it's about relationships. I value the community I live in and I want it to be a place that funds their libraries. And we're just two people, but those two people there and the body count and on the news, um, they matter. So I needed to show up. Um, and also, I'm a person who believes in if you put it on the calendar a month ago because it mattered a lot, then don't, don't just blow it off because you're like cranky because you had, you know, a little extra coffee this morning. So I found that when you can identify what the question really is about, um, 
if you can let a value drive that decision, something that really matters to you, becoming or making smooth decisions becomes so much easier. And, you know, I think this bears are exploring a little bit for this reason. You know, I've become obsessed with this phrase recently about the way the way you live is the world you get. Yeah. You know, yes. we com- we complain about this or that, and yet we're not necessarily living our life that way. So you think about the political environment now, and we say, oh, my God, I'm so upset about A, B, or C. We all know what A, B, and C is. But, <laughs> but what are we doing besides, you know, talking about it on our walk or at dinner? Or are we really going out to make sure that the votes getting out or registering voters are going to Florida or Ohio, you know, so that I feel really strongly that we need to be thinking about that we're, we're not just one person. Mm-hmm. We're, we're part of how things can be different. And the great takeaway in this book, and for me, reading it, is that that applies on the micro level, right? So I went through this, this is very obsessive, but decades ago when I was worried when I opened the bookstore and I had just had uh, our son, that I wasn't spending enough time with our son because I was working and married and doing whatever on earth I was doing. So I kept track of my time 24 hours a day for one month. I had like a grid. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is I wasn't spending time with my husband. Mm -hmm. I I was spending plenty of time with Edward and I was taking care of the store. But what your book reminds, what I considered the brilliant part of your book is it had the mechanisms for thinking about, you know, the Mary Oliver line. How do you want to spend the one precious life Mm -hmm. that we have? But I hadn't thought about driving that conversation by starting with the value, which, which makes me sound stupid. But... It is, it's an interesting, is this making sense to you or am I just like off on my own little, <laughs> my own little dirt road that's a dead end here? Um, I'm from Kentucky, we got lots of those. <laughs> I'm from New York, there are none. <laughs> we have no dead end roads, they all just take you in circle. Um, so I do love, um, that idea, we, and and that brings me to question that seems um, well, it's somewhat connected. Is you talk about whether writing down what you're overthinking is helpful or detrimental? Mm. How do you mm-hmm. how, how do you think about that? Oh, so what Roxanne is referring to is the common trap of journaling for those who are overthinking. Um, well, okay. When it comes to overthinking, if you are thinking about the problem in a constructive way that's making progress towards a solution, that's a good thing. If you're sending yourself deeper into overthinking, if you're just circling, that's not a good thing. So if you're journaling about what you're overthinking about in a way that's just rehashing, if you're writing, how about this? If you're writing what you're overthinking Mm. or how you feel about And now you're giving it even more time. You're fueling it. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is a real thing. Like we... Oh, I, f- I feel like I've read some really great quotes. I can't come up with any of them right now. But, I mean, we, we get 
I mean, we keep getting what we're getting unless we consciously shift mm. course. Um, so if we're if we're journaling about our overthinking, then we're just going to make the problem more entrenched. If we're journaling about what to do about it, or if we're brainstorming solutions, like that's a whole different thing. Brainstorming solutions is different than listing out like, my child isn't home yet. Curfew was six minutes ago. Is he in a ditch? Like that's those are different things. Yeah. Do you think a lot of people use a journal to write those kind of things? Um, do I think a lot of people fuel their overthinking by journaling? Yeah. They self-report to me. They do. Now yeah. when they find out I'm writing a book about overthinking and they know I'd live my journal. Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, I use my journal mm -hmm. to solve problems. Mm -hmm. So if you, and I don't write in it every day, mm -hmm. I write in it five times a year, mm -hmm. 10. But if you read my journal, you would think this woman is a mess <laughs> because I'm only, you know, I'm only yeah. writing about the problem. Yeah. But is that different? Is it your to-do list? Uh, no. I don't know. Well, how does it, how does it make you feel? Well, I like, it, so, it helps me solve problems. Okay. If, so you're, I, if you're solving problems, then I think you're good. All right. I'll keep journaling. Um, <laughs> if it's making you feel unhealthy and unha unhappy, it's not getting you anywhere, then I would reevaluate that situation. But if it's helping you solve problems, then it sounds like a tool. So I just finished a journal that was 20 years of time, and I just bought a new journal, which is a fat journal. And I also am 71, and my husband looked at the journal, he goes, that's optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you wanted to journal how you felt about that comment, I can see how that could get into overthinking. Um, uh, so the... Um, I have two more questions before we'll open it to um, the audience. You open a chapter with a quote from Shakespeare, and the quote is, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so, looking for the good. What does yes. that mean? We make our own worlds, which depending on how we're feeling at any mm. given moment, can feel like power, like a permission slip, like agency. Or it can feel like we are inadequate to the task mm. of, of making, making a world that looks good with the raw material we've been dealt. But I have been... This is like the critical mm -hmm. brain. Mm -hmm. This is the person who's deciding everything's going to go wrong or mm -hmm. the cranky person you're meeting mm -hmm. is annoying you and not thinking about mm -hmm. that maybe they just found out they have some horrible disease? I mean, there are, there are so many ways to look at the same sets of circumstances. This, this is not new information since writing Don't Overthink It. Um, I had a college professor years ago that blew my mind when he said, uh, you're a college student. You're almost a grown woman. We're going to say you are. But, but what, what happens in your mind is something that you have more control over than you probably realize. Like, we're not victims of our circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, what we choose to think about is what creates our experience. It's not what happens out there. It's what happens in our own minds. And I find that very sobering and also very exciting, possibly depending on if I've eaten in the last eight hours. Um, if you're on keto, I'm sorry, we can make that 16, but I'm not adapted. Um, but it is so I go I go into detail in that in the book because it's it's 
earnest. I get Makes earnest a big in that difference. chapter. But it does. I mean, how we make our own worlds based on how we choose to see it. But like, yeah, our, our, we make our experience by what we choose to focus on. Now, my my last question before we open to questions and answers and then um, wrap it up with a, another question is, I, I am stunned by the fact that you do the modern Miss, Mrs. Darcy blog post. You do the pod, you do two podcasts, you then write books, and you have four children. So I, I know you must get sick of answering the question, like, how do you get that done? But what organizing tools make that all work? Because that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff to keep, you know, not having something sort of explode on you. Or you find out you went on a trip and a kid's missing. Um, <laughs> That, so <laughs> that happens in my mom's family when she was uh, young. So how do what 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 device or practice do you have that allows you to do all of that? Oh, that's interesting. Um, okay, I want to start by saying that I I love running my business and my life that way, and it is not for everybody. I feel like we all have strengths mm -hmm. and we all have weaknesses. Right. My weakness is I am not the best at a linear thought progression. But if I was, I could never recommend books on what should I read next. Like thinking in circles is actually incredibly helpful for a podcast like that. <laughs> um, there are people who deep dive on topics and spend 50 years of their professional careers researching them. And there are people who always like to look at the new and fresh, and I am one of those. So it's, I feel like it's unfair to think like, how do you do all these things? And the reason is because it's doing all those things that keeps it interesting to me. Right. And I picture my work as like a Ferris wheel. There's always something that comes up to the top of rotation that gets the sun shining on it, lots of attention, and then it goes back down and something else cycles up. So it's been Don't Overthink It. Pretty soon it's going to be the summer reading guide. Then we've got some cool stuff cooking for the podcast. Like the Ferris wheel keeps going. And if it got stuck... Um, I would not be a happy camper. Mm. But if it moved too fast, I'd probably get whiplash. But but this is, um, sometimes I wish I could have just the one thing, but I know I wouldn't like it if I did. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who um, is going to argue with that, but I'm really grateful that I have the opportunity to do those. Um, I'm a really visual um, planner and thinker. I didn't think I was for a long time because you should see my drawings from like high school art class. That's not a talent that I chose to develop. Did you notice I said I'm just not good at that? Maybe I could be if I wanted to be, but um, I, I have a journal that I keep lots and lots of lists in. I, my life changed when I discovered these giant post-it notes you can buy at Office Depot. You can, it's like writing on your wall, but then you can peel it off and recycle it. Um, I, I like to see what's happening in my world mm -hmm. and then I can see the order in which I get to cover. I'm trying not to say attack cause it sounds so violent, but then I can see the order in which I attack it. Yeah. But, you know, and you're also bringing up something that I think is sort of buried a little bit mm -hmm. underneath in the book, but is important mm -hmm. that one of the things that 
women, I think, Mm -hmm. in general, overthink a lot is failing by comparison, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I always say, you know, if you're comparing your inside self to somebody Mm -hmm. else's outside self, Mm -hmm. you're always going to lose because you Mm -hmm. don't know that they're also like a wreck or think they're too fat or too Mm -hmm. old or too ugly or too Mm -hmm. whatever. You know, it's always... So I do think, I appreciate the fact that you answered the question that way because it's what is good, it's what fuels you. Mm-hmm. And going about, you know, and being able to accomplish it is cool, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that that's the standard for other people who decide to do one or the other right, right, right. or, you know. So I do think that's given this overthinking context for the mm-hmm. conversation, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, to remind ourselves about. Well, and I should also add a part too. Like you, so you asked me a specific question. I tried to answer it, but in the spirit of, I also at this point have an amazing team. Like it was just me for a long time, but Mm -hmm. now it's not. Like we have a team of three people in addition to myself who put the podcast out every week. Um, I have an assistant who helps me with my personal stuff. Um, I have help editing blog content and putting featured images up there. Even if I took them, I'm not the ones resizing them and getting them into WordPress. There's a chapter in the book called Get Someone Else to Do It. Um, And a lot of that is born out of personal experience and asking around and seeing how other women and men are doing the things they do when life itself requires so much time and maintenance. And what I've really found is there are so many people who would be delighted to do the things that um, make my stomach turn because it takes all kinds. And for some reason, it brings them joy to organize papers. They say it's true. Um, So that is that is a huge part of it as well. Just like smartly. There are parts of my business I will never give up. um, I don't think. But but um, being able to outsource the things that I can to people I trust who enjoy doing it so that I can focus on the work that I only I can do that really matters to me that I be the one to do it has really let me do all those different things it's not just me making it happen and that really is imposing what you talk about in the book is deciding to give your time to what Mm -hmm. you value right because something that we um that I talk about in the book we haven't quite hit on is that when I started writing the book, I thought, okay, overcoming is this thing nobody likes. Let's talk about how to think our way out of it. But what I quickly discovered is it's not just kind of this negative thing we want to avoid sometimes. It comes at a massive opportunity cost. And that is it gets in the way of what you really want to be doing with your life and how you really want to be spending your time. And I love Annie Dillard always has. She has this quote where she says, um, What we do with our days is, of course, what we do with our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. And when you spend your time overthinking, that's what you're doing. And I don't want that for you. You don't want that for you. The world doesn't need that. We got got more important things to do. We do. And so that's a perfect transition to, in case you have any questions. What was the spark that got me to write this book? That's a great question. Um, I So I know on my blog, Modern Mrs. Darcy, I love and many people love um, not the book list posts and not the weekend links that's fun stuff around the internet that people say, oh my gosh, these are my favorite posts. And I say, you know, I didn't write any of that, right? I just said, have a great weekend. These are interesting, um, which is fine. Um, but I always love... Um, 
writing writing pieces about the things I'm thinking about, the things I'm wrestling with, the 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 how to live a well-lived life in the face of what seems like overwhelming noise and chaos sometimes, either out in the world or in my home. Um, so those conversations really got me thinking. Like, I love those posts on the blog. I love those conversations that result, and I'd love to explore that at book length. So it's that on the one hand. And also, when I get together with friends and we have, you know, margaritas and half-price nachos, the stuff in the book is the stuff we talk about. So I knew I was interested. Uh, if you're going to write a book, you have to be interested in the topic for at least a couple years because um, getting tired of the topic before the book is done, <laughs> not a good situation. Next question. Yes. So if and where do I see overthinking coming into the books and reading side of things, like when I'm picking books for the podcast? Okay, this is such an interesting question because I did not realize until fairly recently when someone pointed it out to me that I basically structured what should I read next to avoid all my own personal overthinking pitfalls. So there's a very tight structure. It doesn't change. Tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you're reading now. And I will recommend three books you should read next. And sometimes I get a little carried away, but now that this has been pointed out to me, maybe I won't anymore. Um, <laughs> we get asked a lot how much time goes by between when I have the initial conversation with the guest. Um, you all know Roxanne was on What Should I Read Next, right? If you're a new listener and you didn't know that, we're going to go find that show in the archives. But so they asked, so Roxanne told you her books, three she loves, one she doesn't, what she's reading now. Like, how many days later do you all record? We don't do that. I would make myself crazy researching and trying to find the perfect ones. Like, we, that conversation never stops. Um, I might take a sip of water, but that tape keeps rolling um, because a time limitation. It's sort of magical. Yeah. I mean, the time limitation prevents you from, like, diving into paralysis and also something that I found to be so personally effective that you'll see in the book about overcoming overthinking is a mindset shift and that is not like oh it's do or die but just try it like just move forward with an attitude of experimentation and since we're talking about books and reading which sometimes feel life and death but isn't it's easy for me I think now out of habit to move forward with an attitude of experimentation how do you feel about this title? Well, you might hate this, but I like the sound of it, so read it and try it and report back later. Um, it's, not, it's not high stakes. I sometimes feel like it is in my heart if I'm afraid. Yeah, I, I would feel like books, it is. But, but it's not high stakes. So um, I talk to a lot of readers who get stymied in their reading life because you walk into a wonderful store like this, and you know you can just read, even if you're reading eight books at a time, your eyes are only on one book at a time, and you see all the things in here you want to read and you just get stuck. And I would encourage you all to just try something. Like what's the worst that can happen? Just yeah. pick up a book. Tell us about it. Even if you don't like, I mean, if you hate the book, that is going to be an excellent conversation. No reading experience is lost. But I know that part of my job is to push readers through their own overthinking in the reading life because um, life's too short. Like there are plenty of books to read. Let's get you going. So do you believe, is, that reminds me, do you believe in finishing all the books you start? No. 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 Okay, good. Because if I, if I didn't let myself, if I knew that I wouldn't pick up a book, wow, grammar's hard. Okay. <laughs> if I believed in finishing every book I started, then I would think really hard before committing to a book. 
And I don't want to put that kind of pressure on you. Yeah. So I'm, it, it's an experiment. If I try 10 pages and think, golly, that's not what I thought it was, then that is okay. It was Over. an experiment. I got the data I needed. I can make an informed decision and move on. Excellent. Okay, next question. Yes. The question is, a reader's to-be-read list can get very, very long. So how do I go about approaching that to-be-read list and deciding what to read next? I'm afraid this answer is going to be really disappointing. I don't have any magic system. I got a big stack of books on my nightstand. I get books in the mail almost every day. The library might get in something that I wanted to take a chance on but was hesitant to buy because, oh my gosh, we have so many books in my house. Um, I, I read what I'm excited about reading next or what I've committed to read. Like um, if we have a book club pick for the Modern Mrs. Darcy book club and I know we're talking to the author and I haven't read that book for three years, then I feel like I made a commitment to myself, if nothing else, to read that. So I was fresh to talk about it. But I, I read what I'm excited about reading. Uh, when we t why don't we take two more questions? Yes. Yes, the question is, so it sounds like you've read it already. Thank you for that. So there's a chapter in the book about rituals. It's called Rituals to Rely On. And the question is, this reader has a toddler, so she knows the importance of ritual. Um, I don't believe I talk about toddlers in the book, just so you know, it's not a parenting chapter. Um, there are no parenting chapters, um, though I tell a story about my kid learning to drive. Mm. But the question is, how do rituals fit into overthinking? This was something that was really a surprise to me coming in. So I thought when I started writing the book that I would be looking at ways to overcome overthinking in the moment it happened. And what I quickly realized is that so much overthinking isn't, didn't start in your brain today. It started in your brain yesterday um, when you had Doritos for dinner or um, when you woke up at four o'clock in the morning but went to bed at midnight. Um, it, we really set ourselves up for success by how we treat our bodies, how we shape our lives, the rhythms and routines we have. I mean, that is how to stop so much overthinking before it starts. And I found this one enormously empowering because I can control those things. I mean, sometimes. I mean, the, the smoke alarm batteries got low at four o'clock Sunday morning. So I was woken at four o'clock until somebody got on the ladder and changed the battery. Like, I can't control that. But knowing that taking care of my physical body matters, um, I can do something about that. But it sounds like the least sexy solution ever. Um, which is like, I really wanted a razzle dazzle solution, but, but there is a whole section of the book called set yourself up for success because becoming the kind of person who overthinks less is really holistic, but rituals are fascinating. So rituals do two things to overcome, to help you overcome overthinking. One, when you are in a moment of overthinking and you approach a time of day when you have a ritual, your morning cup of coffee, your 2 p.m. news break, the book you read with lunch, your um, family dinner time, whatever it is, um, you recenter and refocus on something you've decided in advance matters to you. So that if you've got overthinking going, if you've totally lost track of your priorities, it pulls you back in at regular pre-established times. And that is so powerful. The other thing is all the research indicates that being a person who has rituals in their lives is great for your sense of identity, your sense of confidence, your sense of compassion. It makes you the kind of person who is statistically likely to overthink less. 
It really doesn't matter what the ritual is. I think it's fascinating that even those who don't believe in the power of ritual nevertheless benefit from them. The thing about ritual is that that makes it important and um, changes your behavior is that you do it with purpose and you do it regularly. When it comes to overthinking, when we make progress in... When we take one small step forward, the momentum builds and builds and builds. And I would love to see if he, with or without your help, could find one area that there are so many simple, tangible, doable things you can do, like um, decide on what you're going to eat for breakfast every single day and just go with it and save that little tiny smidge of mental energy in um, your house account. Usually that means something else, but we could talk about it as a mental, metaphorical meaning. But um, when, when we do have these small acts of reclamation where we take the time we've been spending overthinking and the mental energy we've been taking spending, or the mental energy that overthinking is zapping from us, um, those effects are cumulative. And we get a little bit of momentum going. It builds and builds and builds. There are so many ways to have a small win and those small wins feel good, and you'll want more of the same. I hope he will want more of the same, and I hope we'll bolster his confidence because so much of overthinking comes from lack of confidence in our ability to decide to move forward. Okay, uh, so I'd, I'd like to close with um, two things. One is a question, and then have you read something um, from the book. One of the lovely... Um, elements that wrap the book up and I think is a very wonderful progression to the way you take us through this journey of what is overthinking, how do you change overthinking, what's the price you pay for overthinking, and then sort of deliver us to the other end of the shoot of this process. And you have a chapter called Small Shifts to simple abundance. Mm -hmm. And it's such a lovely concept. So share with us what you mean by that. Sure. I found that so many of us think and think and think our ways out of happiness. And in small shifts towards simple abundance, I really wanted to highlight some ways that we could think our ways into it. Um, has anyone ever been given a nice gift, like, let's say, a nice scented candle that you've saved for a special occasion? Mm -hmm. So this is the kind of thing I talk about in this chapter. Um, what I found is that so many readers, and especially but not limited to women, are not stingy people but are so stingy with themselves when it comes to the small, almost everyday indulgences that they certainly can afford but don't feel like perhaps are necessary for them. Like um, for me, for a long time, it was buying decent pens I'm a writer, y'all. But what I would tell myself is, I got a free pen from the bank. Do I really need a new one? Or I tell the story about the flower, buying the flowers at Trader Joe's. I'd never do it because I didn't need them. Um, and I definitely had a whole candle collection that I would never burn because I was waiting for apparently like 400 special nights to do it. <laughs> so something I talk about in the book is that when we, when our eyes are open to the fact that we're doing this, we really can make small decisions in advance 
that not only spare ourselves the should I or shouldn't I, do I want this, do I not, should I pay 29 extra cents for the G2 instead of the two-pack of Big Sticks? Ah, <laughs> Because you can stand in the aisle at Walgreens debating this for many minutes and put it in your cart and take it back out. And um, that mental energy you spent on that decision is gone. So you're never getting it back. So what I talk about in the book is let's think about how you can make decisions in advance to put those things that bring you joy on autopilot. And they don't even have to cost money. Like one of the things, one of the rules I've adopted for myself is there's this road in Louisville I hate with a fiery passion. And one day I decided... Um, I'm giving myself permission to drive like four blocks out of the way. It takes three extra minutes so I don't have to drive on this road. Like that's an indulgence. It takes a little extra time and it probably takes a little extra money. I don't know. I guess that depends on how many stoplight rotations you sit through. Um, but I don't drive on that road anymore. It's a little gift to myself. Mm. But not only do I really enjoy the scenic route, but I made one decision and I never have to think about it again. I decided this is the way I'm going to live my life. And I know that sounds like a tiny decision, and it is, yet it's all those tiny decisions that add up to your daily experience. And I'd love to see people make, Do make more. yeah, to implement those, those changes to save the mental energy and bring more joy into their lives. Well, I think that's a good uh, place for us to stop. And I don't know if you know this by heart, but I marked um, the pay. What, are you laughing at my post-its? <laughs> well, that's how I, I know, because I when I read the book for somebody I'm going to interview, I put them in, and then when I'm ready to put together questions, I go back and decide which ones really mattered. Works for me. <laughs> and I don't overthink it, I just do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I love, um, I love this mm -hmm. passage, and I think at the end of the day, and what your book um, does is, I think, bring you to the place where that um, passage has so much meaning. Mm -hmm. So if you would read that for us. So these are the words that finish the book. I'd like to tell you that tracking down the source of what I'm about to read was so difficult. Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah well, my, my, uh, my priest told me it was from Thomas Merton. And it did, in fact, appear in a version of Thomas Merton's book, Contemplative Prayer. But it's actually an ancient Buddhist prayer adapted by... So it just... So this prayer has gone around the world, and it's here tonight in Madison, Connecticut. Okay. May you be peaceful, happy, and light in body and spirit. May you live in safety. May you be free from anxiety and worry. May you learn to look at yourself with the eyes of understanding and love. May you be able to recognize and touch the seeds of joy and happiness in yourself. May you know how to nourish the seeds of joy in yourself every day. May you be able to live fresh, solid, and free. All right. You've been listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by LitHub Radio. The show is produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, Johnny Diamond, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Justin Alvarez. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Roxanne Cody, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>